My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Servants, and it's always a privilege to be here with y'all. As of last week, six of the top ten selling nonfiction books on Amazon promise to transform your life. They say that they will make this year the year that will change your life. They will help you make better sense of money or live better and longer. They invite you to step into your potential through self-mastery. Simply put, they, as one book says, offer a proven framework for improving. Now, these books aren't bad. I'm sure they're very interesting and helpful. I know because I've read one of them. But I bring them up because the popularity and the proliferation of self-help books point to our desire to be transformed. Their success is a way that we as a society acknowledge that something about how we are is not quite right. We need transformation. And this is a way in which our culture agrees with the foundational teaching of Christianity. G.K. Chesterton humorously captured it this way. He says that Christianity begins with the fact of sin, a fact as practical as potatoes. Whether or not man could, could be washed in miraculous waters, there was no doubt at any rate that he wanted washing. And he goes on to say that original sin is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. And if he were around today, I suspect that he might point to these books as to one of the many examples or proofs of that idea of original sin. Now, original sin is a technical term of sorts, so just by way of review, this is what I mean when I say it. There's a way we are supposed to be. We were made good by God to enjoy his love and reflect his goodness to the world of, around us. But we thought we could do things better our way, on our own terms, so we turned away from God and made a mess of everything. And though we still have inestimable dignity, each and every one of us, we are fallen. Every part of every person is affected by a prevailing desire to be bent inwards on ourselves. Now, this is not to say we can't do anything good, but it is to say that even our best deeds are tainted with selfish motives. And so, by, because of this, nothing we can do by our own efforts can fix this inward bent. So while Christians and non-Christians alike may disagree as to the scope and extent of our need for transformation, we agree that we do need it in the first place. We are not as we ought to be. But we also disagree as to how to accomplish that transformation that we seek. And as far as I can tell, most of the approaches to transformation on offer in the world go something like this. They boil down to what philosopher Jacques Ellul refers to as technique. In short, technique is about developing a series of methods to reach optimization or efficiency. Do you need transformation? Then just follow the steps in this book or find the right influencer and follow what they do. They can give you a simple set of steps to change everything. 
whether that be your negative self-talk, your sleep, your parenting, your dating, your networking, anything that you can imagine, there is someone who's offering you a technique to fix them and optimize your life. And the conceit behind all of these things is this. If you just do these things, you will be transformed. And here's the key. It's if I do these things, I will be transformed and then I will be enough. Because we seek transformation not just on its own sake, because we want to know that we are okay, that we are enough. And transformation is one of the ways in which we can prove that to ourselves and to the world. And these techniques, they can bring meaningful and helpful changes, but they fall short of the true transformation because they focus on the externals. And that's not unlike what we see in the Corinthian passage. The, the Corinthians, if they could just change the external things about themselves, their religious markers of identity or their social status, that they would be okay. But Christianity teaches that transformation happens from the inside out in response to God's call. And that's what we'll look at in our passages. We'll, we'll look at this inside-out transformation, starting with who is eligible for it, how it starts, and how we respond. So first, who is eligible for this Christian transformation? Our passages make clear that everyone is eligible. And that's a good thing, right? Because we all want transformation. In Mark 1.15, we get a summary of Jesus' whole ministry and message. And it says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There is so much here in this one verse, but I want to draw our attention to one simple thing. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, I have a message for you Gentiles, you people who don't know God. He does not say, this is for those bad Jews who only kind of keep the commandments. He doesn't say, this is for you self-righteous Pharisees. He calls out to everyone. And if you are a Christian today, you might be thinking, okay, that's great, but I'm already a Christian. I've already repented. This doesn't apply to me. But Jesus' words apply both to believers and unbelievers alike. The word repent in Greek is in the present imperative, which is a fancy way of saying it has a sense of continual action. It has the, the sense of not just repent for one time, but be repenting, or go on repenting, or continue repenting. Martin Luther captured this continual sense in his 95 Theses, the thing that ignited the Protestant Reformation. And thesis number one, the bedrock of everything else that he said was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So old or young, male or female, Democrat or Republican, gay or straight, rich or poor, Christian or non-Christian. No matter who you are, Jesus is calling you in some way to repent. And, and what does this repentance have to do with transformation? Well, repentance is the doorway to Christian transformation for everyone. 
And in some ways, this is not unlike what we see in our cultural narratives of transformation. We, we say that everyone can change, everyone can be transformed. But there's one small way that I think this Christian approach is different, because when we look with the world standards, there are some people who have their lives together, right? Like the high performers, the people with the pristine lives on Instagram. We don't think they need that much transformation. But there are some people that you might look at and be tempted to think, gosh, they're a total mess. They really need transformation, right? But here's the thing about the Christian vision of transformation. Everyone really needs it. A whale might be far larger than a mouse, but in the scope of the universe, they're both infinitesimally small. Some people may be holier than others, but all of us, including the biggest saints among us, are but shadows of what we will one day be in Christ. So that means the holiest saint and the humblest sinner are both in desperate need of transformation in Christ. Jesus invites us all to be transformed in him, beginning with repentance. And if that is true, it means that right now, God is calling you to repent in some way. Last week, Father David talked about the ways in which we can hear God's voice. And so a question I have for you is how might God be calling out to you right now to repent, to turn to him? And if you're saying, I don't know, I don't know what repentance is, then just hold on. I'll get there. So Jesus is inviting us all to be transformed through repentance. But how does this repentance thing start? It starts with God's call, not our own initiative. God does not sit around waiting for Israel and Judah to repent. He sends them Jeremiah. Jesus does not go waiting for Simon and Andrew and John and James to come to him. He goes to them and calls out saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Moreover, if we look again at verse 15, that the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Where in this announcement does Jesus call us to repent? At the very end. Jesus only calls us to repent after saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. He only calls us to repent in response to this thing that God is already doing. Now, if this is true, that Christian transformation begins only with God's call, then that means that we are hopeless to truly be transformed by ourselves apart from God's gracious call towards us. It means there is nothing that we can ever do to change ourselves enough so we can be okay. Okay to stand before ourselves, much less okay to stand before God. And this is the point where some of us might be wondering, well, <laughs> am I really that bad? And this is where the Christian vision of transformation sharply diverges with our worldly hope. If technique is all it is, we don't have to admit that we're sinful. We just need to find the right life hack, follow the right influencer, and then with a little grit and behavioral engineering, we can become our best selves. But that is a sweet pill that turns bitter. And here's what I mean by that. Because if it is true that all you need is you, 
you're alone to bear the weight of it when it doesn't work out. If all you need is you and the right technique, and you've read all of the books and tried all of the, the methods, then if it's not working, you'll start to feel inadequate, that something is deeply wrong with you, that you just can't get this thing right. Or maybe you do have the grit, maybe you do have what it takes, and you were actually able to make really substantial, meaningful changes in your life. Perhaps you have the life you thought you wanted, but you still find yourself wanting. And if it's all on you, then you're going to keep on trying harder and harder, exhausting yourself, trying to cover up that sense of inadequacy. This is a sweet pill at first, but it turns bitter in the end. But the doctrine of original sin is a bitter pill that turns sweet. It's hard to accept that we can't save ourselves by ourselves. It's hard to accept that we are bent inward with no part of us untouched by selfish de desire. We may want the right things, yes, but we want them in the wrong ways. It's hard to acknowledge that. But once we swallow that bitter pill, it brings a sense of sweetness. Now, here's what I mean by, by, by that. It brings a sense of sweetness because it means that we are not surprised when we keep on messing up or that it's three weeks into January and your New Year's resolutions are already long gone. This does not mean that we don't feel sorrow for our sin. It does not mean we give ourselves excuses when we hurt other people. But it does mean that when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that we're not enough, we don't trick ourselves to try and keep working harder to fix ourselves, to exhaust ourselves. But oftentimes, I do prefer to trick myself. When I'm convicted of ways that I have fallen short, one of my initial instincts is to make a great plan to work, to make myself better, to turn to technique, to think that I can be better on my own terms because I am enough. On our run this past week, I was thinking about the things that I like to do differently when my curacy ends and God calls me to move on to someplace else. And oftentimes I'd start thinking about all the stuff I have to do, but on my run, I just found myself thinking of how instead of needing to make a master plan, I was just acknowledging how, man, I'm not who I want to be. I'm a broken person living in a broken world, and I need God's help. And acknowledging that, resting in that, frees me to respond without the weight of existential pressure. So original sin seems bitter at first, but it turns sweet once we accept that we are broken people living in a broken world. And because we are broken, Christian transformation must start with God's call, not our own initiative. In Jesus' day, the rabbis would, take, would wait for the most promising students to come to them so they can pick only the best, most deserving, kind of like how our most elite colleges do now. But that's not what Rabbi Jesus did, right? He didn't wait for people to come to him. He does not wait for ourselves to make ourselves right. He comes to us in the midst of our daily lives before we have everything together and invites us to follow him. He makes the first move. So Christian transformation is available to everyone and begins with God's calling to each one of us. 
Now, God calls first, and we can't do anything apart from that, but there does come a point when we must respond ourselves. So what happens next? Jesus says, repent and believe. And these two acts are like breathing, exhaling and inhaling. Exhaling the carbon dioxide, which if accumulated would lead to to death, and inhaling the oxygen that gives us life. So repenting is like the exhaling. It's turning away from something. Simon and Andrew turned away from their work. James and John had to turn away from some relationships. And Jeremiah called people to turn away from false gods. So in one sense, repentance is is simply that. It's turning away from the things that would hinder us from following Jesus. But repentance is more than that. The, the, the Greek word for the word repentance is metanoia, and, and meta as in change, like in metamorphosis, and noia from noose as in mind. And there aren't any English words that I could think of that come from that root that are common. But if you're more pretentious like me, if you like big words, then think noetic. So change in mind. So literally repent means to change your mind. And mind, in this sense, is considered the center of our moral attitudes. So if that's what repentance is, changing our moral attitudes, then it's not simply ceasing to do a certain thing, it's ceasing to regard it in a certain way. And Jeremiah provides a good example of that. These verses in Jeremiah refer to people responding to God's call turning away from their idolatrous practices. And this is some of what they say. They say, truly the hills are a delusion from our youth, the shameful thing these idolatrous practices have devoured, all for which our fathers labored. They're looking to this idolatry and saying, this is not good. This is worthless. It's not giving us what we want. Repentance in its full sense means seeing that the things you are turning away from cannot provide what they promise. That's why Dallas Willard describes repentance as not as beating your head on the floor or feeling bad about your sins. He says it's rethinking your thinking. It's a change of direction and a change of mind. And it will look different for different people in different circumstances. Sometimes this means turning away from relationships or a way of life, like we see in the disciples that cause a massive change in what their life was like. But it it doesn't always mean leaving everything like that. A few chapters later in Mark 5, when Jesus heals the Gerasene demoniac, that guy who was healed wants to go with Jesus but Jesus says, no, I need you to stay here. And so repentance can take different shapes for different people. And if you're unsure of what God might be calling you to repent from right now, it might be helpful to talk about it with a trusted fellow believer. So we repent, we exhale the toxic waste, but it does no good simply to to turn away to only exhale, something must fill that vacuum. And so we go on and we believe. We inhale the life-giving oxygen. We believe the gospel. And what does this 
look like? As Herman Bovink says, it's, it's believing that though we are good creations of the Father, we have been ruined by sin but restored in the death of the Son and recreated, transformed by the grace of the Holy Spirit. But he's like, okay, you're a theologian, that's hard to understand. What's something that's more simpler put than that? And it could be what Corey Ten Boom says, that believe that there is no pit of sin and shame so deep that God's love is deeper still. Or as Tim Keller says, believe that though we might be more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. We believe that our worth is not litigated each day by our performance or our, our approval, but is decided once and for all upon the cross. Believe that all of our hopes, especially those hopes that are left unfulfilled, find their ultimate satisfaction in Christ. Jesus said that the time is fulfilled. That is to say, everything in history has been pointing to this, to what we have available right now, that for the first time since the garden, humanity can walk with God. Jesus says, walk with me, walk with me. You can walk with God once again. You can dwell with God once again. That's why the, the Christmas song says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in what Jesus is offering us and our being able to follow him and our being able to walk with him in this gospel that he is calling us to believe, to breathe in. So we turn away from hoping in lesser goods and turn toward hoping in the true God. Now, as we mentioned earlier, this is a continual process. It is to be repenting and be believing it's to continue to, to do these things, things we have to remind ourselves each and every day. One of the first things I do before I get out of bed in the morning is I pray a few things. And, and one is when, when Jesus says to, to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And so I just, there in bed, I say, God, help me to deny myself this day. Help me to put to, to death my pride, my laziness, my desire to prove myself through my performance. These things cannot give me what I hope for. And I remind myself of the goodness of Jesus to start each day because I need it, because I forget it. This is something that we have to do each and every day. And in some cases, this Christian transformation will be more sudden and in many cases, it will be more slow than we would like. But as God calls us and as we turn to him each day, we can be transformed and not left the same. We and our anger issues, our addictions, our need for control, our jealousy of, of, of others, our crushing self-criticism, all of these things can be transformed in the light of Jesus Christ. And this transformation is different than what we hope for in the world because it is not simply for ourselves. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This transformation is so we can serve God in his kingdom for the good of others. It's not just about ourselves. And crucially, it's not simply superficial. You see, these self-help books have beautiful insights about our world and how they work. And they can do us a lot of good but they cannot transform us. 
I think it's kind of like some of the viral videos that you may have seen of a dog skateboarding or a squirrel that's surfing. Like these animals can do amazing things you might not have imagined them to be able to do. But they're still animals. They haven't been transformed. It's still a seal at a circus performing for the views of others. But in Christ, we are remade. The word used for make and make you fishers of men is the same word used in Genesis 1 that describes how God made the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, and humanity. And here it describes how Jesus remakes us as we follow him. Simon and John, who we meet in this passage, we see in Acts 4, no longer humble fishermen, but people who've been transformed. And the Jewish leaders are astonished. And the observation that they make is that they have been with Jesus. There's not a simple technique that we can follow, but if we walk with Jesus, hear his call, repent and believe, then we too, like them, can be transformed. And in the day of the Lord, we will find that what we are now are but shadows of what we'll be like in Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we long for transformation from the depths of our hearts. So out of the depths of our hearts, we cry to you. May our souls look to you and not to our own technique for our own transformation. May we wait for you, Lord, each day more than the watchman waits for the morning. Teach us to hope in you. Amen. Mm -hmm.